Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Finding Peaks. I'm Jason Friesma, Chief Clinical Officer here at Peaks Recovery Centers. Uh, I've got a few guests with me today. First up, Lauren Atencio, Clinical Director of our men's program at Old Ranch Road. I have Chris Burns, President and Founder of Peaks Recovery, and a new guest, Chris's Beard. Uh, hey! joining us today. Yeah. So I would like to welcome uh, Chris and the beard uh, to the show. Um, I don't have the ability to do that. So. Oh, you didn't get the memo to bring I your beard? No. Okay. She likes it though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good call. it does look good. Um, so today uh, we, I wanted to circle back around a few uh, months ago, we had on uh, Dr. Stephen Alardi, who wrote a book called The Depression Cure. And we spent a lot of time talking about um, his book and kind of how he uh, views and understands depression. Um, and I think we had some really good discussions about it. Um, and he comes from a very academic and research-oriented world. And I kind of wanted to, to humanize maybe, or not humanize, not that he wasn't a human, but like I wanted to, to put some actual real conversation in around um, depression. And so that's what I'd like to do today. Um, and I think... You know, I was talking uh, to our CEO, Brandon, uh, earlier today, and I think we've had, uh, you know, a fair amount of our clients now are coming in um, with their primary issue coming into peaks being major depressive disorder. And it's certainly something that uh, we're seeing more and more of uh, as we continue to grow in our business and, and really try to treat um, all mental health issues, substance use and mental health uh, under one kind of uh, curriculum and under kind of the guise of suffering. And certainly, um, as I was talking to Brandon earlier, uh, I talked about how uh, certainly all depression leads to suffering, but not all suffering is depression. And so I think I wanted to start with maybe uh, defining depression. And, um, and Lauren, maybe I'll look for you for that. Like how, what, what signs and symptoms do you see of depression? And, and I'll add a few and then Chris will go to you. Yeah, I think, I think depression is something that um, society kind of puts in a box sometimes too. Like this is what it looks like. You won't get out of bed. You won't do this. You won't do this. And I think there's different levels to depression that people don't consider, right? There's this high level, high level functioning depression where I can go to work, I can get everything done and I'm still feeling super empty inside. And so when we go to signs and symptoms, right, it's not always sadness. I think sadness can be a big part of it, but I think that's where people kind of mistake as well. Um, but it's also just feelings of emptiness, right? Numbness, um, a really, really big lack of energy, lack of caring about anything, um, inability to connect uh, with others just due to our own narratives about ourselves. And um, it kind of shows up in a lot of different ways. And it is very situational for whatever clients kind of present at the time, mm -hmm. right? Some of our clients don't even know that they have depression and they're like, yeah, it's just, you know, every time I walk into work, I just don't care. I don't feel anything. And it's like, that's depression. Yeah. So let's talk about that more. Yeah. And I think to add on to what you said, certainly other things we see is irritability and that mm -hmm. often isn't linked necessarily to depression, but it, it doesn't feel good to mm -hmm. be depressed. And, um, and so irritability tends to be there. And, and a big part of depression too can be passive suicidality or just mm -hmm. being suicidal. But you know, when, when we're kind of screening clients as they're coming in, um, I like to ask a lot of questions like, do you sometimes wish you wouldn't wake up in the morning? Or do you sometimes think the world would be better without you? Or there would be less pain in the world? Or everyone might be sad for a minute, but then everybody would be happy that you were gone. 
And oftentimes that is absolutely one of the signs of depression and also honestly some of the first steps to being you know fully suicidal too are some of those um kind of more passive thoughts and that sort of thing and and that is the sort of thing that um is i think really important to address and uh walk through and chris i'd love to hear kind of your feedback on on what you're hearing from us yeah. clinicians I, I love that you guys are <laughs> the experts for sure um you know what i see with depression is is like this this inability to become fulfilled despite our best efforts mm. um and i watch people and you know when we first started peaks we didn't have the mental health awareness that we have now and i remember sitting with guys and they would say chris you know, and I would go through the full gamut of uh, community-based resources to try and turn the light on. I'd say, you know, when I first got into recovery, they were like, hey, did you call your mentor? Did you call your sponsor? Did you go to a meeting? Did you meet with your therapist? Did you go to a group? Were you honest? Did you eat? Did you sleep? All of these things. And as a young professional, most certainly when I started Peaks, having been into the field for five years, I used to go through the Rolodex of tools. And with folks with depressive episodes, they were like, did that, did that, did that. Yeah. And it didn't work. Yeah. And I learned very quickly um, through running peaks in my early time in the field that it wasn't a light switch. And that depression, as, as you put, pointed out, shows up in a variety of different ways. I'm actually called to kind of even higher level depression where people don't see it. And I, Dr. Alardi's approach really speaks to me on this because I remember having you in the gym, and I think I've mentioned this in the show, you know, for a couple weeks. And you look at me and you say, Chris, I think I was a little bit depressed. Yeah. You know, and so, I would have never thought you were depressed, yeah. nor would you. Right. But when we get a little bit of sun on our face in the morning, allow that to rise on our face, get a good sweat in, and get some authentic connection, I think we can grow up and out of that. And so I think it shows up in a variety of different ways, but in my experience, until the psychotherapy, TMS, pharmacological combination, we hadn't seen the results I think that we're seeing today. And I love that we have a lot of these resources that we really used to look at and throw shade at. TMS, that's crazy. They're putting a thing on your head and, it, you know, that's not holistic. And, um, but it's sad when you're in the midst of somebody with major depressive disorder. Um, I can remember being in a group with three women who had major depressive disorder about six months ago. And it was a group of 10 women. And I found myself in that room, and I'd never done this before in a, in a group or a circle, um, whatever my accountability situations are called. And I just found myself moved to tears because the room was so depressed and the only thing that I could do to move through that was to meet them where they're at. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those women are actually doing really well today. Happy to report, so, <laughs> which is really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. And I think you, you bring up a really interesting thing, uh, point, I think. I've had a lot of conversations with people too where you know maybe they are irritable or they have trouble getting out of bed in the morning or they don't want to get out of bed or don't want to wake up ever again and and i'll say to them hey um that's not usual like that that's actually called depression mm -hmm. and and it usually is surprising truthfully like it usually involves kind of some kind of coming out of a denial process because some of those signs and symptoms are so subtle and if you think about like postpartum depression too, like a lot of women coming out of um, childbirth and that sort of thing and having all the hormones, like they kind of feel it like malaise and not feeling like they want to do anything. And I don't have any interest anymore. And I don't, why don't I feel anything anymore? And it's called depression. And, and it can be um, so challenging and difficult to walk with people through that process um, of kind of coming out of denial mm -hmm. and like being like, you don't have to live like this. Like there's a solution here. Yeah. 
But it can also shift the negative self-talk too, because before I know I'm yeah. depressed, I just think there's something wrong with yeah. me. Well, and that's where I was gonna go, right? Like this is where we put shame in the conversation of, for me, what I've seen with my clients is shame is the biggest driver of depression. Because when I can't get out of the bed, when I can't eat, when I can't do the things that I need to do and everyone around me is telling, them, uh, telling me I need to do them, I then turn it inward and I say, I'm bad. Mm -hmm. This is my fault. I'm not good enough. I don't matter. I'm not worthy. Mm -hmm. And all of these narratives start to just keep like getting reinforced with our clients. Mm -hmm. And so then they move to those maladaptive coping skills. I'm not worthy, so I'm going to use substances. I'm not worthy, so I might act out in, you know, different self-injurious behaviors. Mm -hmm. But or like even the suicidal thoughts, right? The shame in the background is just fueling it and telling us every day that we're not good enough. And our depression is gonna win every time when we do that. And so I think a big thing that I focus with, on with our clients and I know our clinical team really focuses on is the shame part. Mm -hmm. How do you get in front of that narrative? How do you do one thing today? I tell my clients all the time, if you got out of bed today, that's a win. Yeah. I don't need you to do anything else today. Mm -hmm. I just need you to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And I think we, again, going back to the societal view is like we have, we make these big goals but we didn't even start at the bottom. Let's start with the small goals. Let's figure out what the signs and symptoms of your depression are so we can start to cater to them, you know, not necessarily shame them. They're not bad. You're they're the, your way of surviving. It's literally your body can't take a lot of what's going on, so it shuts down. Your nervous system just kind of collapses. And so being able to just validate this experience for our clients, yeah you are going through this. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with you. That's that first step into being like, maybe I can wake up in the morning. Mm. Then maybe I can go to group. And then maybe I can you know, brush my teeth tonight. Mm -hmm. It's these little, little things that everybody leaves out that I think we really try to reinforce in peaks of like, we're not gonna force you to do all these things. We're gonna meet you where you're at. And we're gonna help your depression just kind of perk up a little bit. I like that. That's really cool too. It's uh... It's an interesting way to really like individualize care. Um, and each person's gonna come in with a potentially a depressive, um, a major depressive disorder, and it's gonna look different. Some people can't get out of bed. Some people can't sleep, <laughs> you yeah, know? And right. it's complete opposite ends yeah. of the spectrum. Some people don't eat, some people eat too much. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's so interesting how it shows up in a variety of ways. And I love that we're in this position now. And, and I think you really share like a hopeful view because what it says is not just the trauma work, is gonna help with your depression, but it's certainly gonna release some, um, some tie downs per se, mm -hmm. and some roots, and repair those a little bit so the quality of life goes up. And then you have the opportunity to look you know, with the psychiatrist from the pharmacological side, and then we have the TMS side. And so it's just a really cool way that I see you and your team um, walking people through this journey, because as I've said on the show before, and I'll say it again, my goal for each and every client is to have more hope than they can remember having when they leave peaks. I mm -hmm. tell every family that's my goal. It's not my team's goal. They probably kill me for that. But that's what they do. Yeah. And I believe that's possible even in the depressive side of things. And Dr. Alardi's stuff is pretty key in that as well. It is. And I think, I mean, you hit on such an important point too, is that irritability can certainly lead to isolation. Mm -hmm. And kind of like with shame, um, you know, not struggling to get out of bed and then being all by yourself, like that literally is going to compound depression. And that is, that is, um, I mean, that's kind of the, the terrible irony of depression is like the symptoms actually tend to worsen just based upon their own uh, presentation. Like if I don't 
if you know if I want to get out of bed in the morning, then it's harder to get out of bed. And then if I don't think I'm safe for human consumption today, then I'm going to isolate and I don't want to really be around anybody. And then I'm going to not eat or eat everything I can get my hands on. And I'm just going to feel terrible about myself and continue on this spiral. And I think um, what I think Dr. Lardy brought to our team and what we continue to implement all the time uh, more and more in our program is that um, in a similar way, we can kind of reverse that pattern. Like, you know, in my years of doing counseling with people struggling with depression, um, you can't go sit in therapy and be cured from it. Like it's, that part helps, but like, it's going to be, there, there has to be this implementation of behaviors in order to um, treat it uh, and, and to kind of reverse that spiral down. Like, in, and you alluded to me uh, when, I, when I went to your gym, what I lovingly call the pain cave. Um, uh, like, you know, you and I, I think on that second or third week, like we had been working out four times a week, talking, uh, getting outside, running. Um, and yeah, all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I feel different. And I think it just started spiraling in this other direction. And I think um, that's the key part. And that's, and, and again, depression tells you don't do anything. Like just the solution is to yeah. not yeah. move and don't not do, do anything. anything. Yeah. And so it feels counterintuitive to begin to try to get some exercise and to try to talk to people and try mm -hmm. to share it. Um, but I th that's how we kind of begin to unwind it. Mm -hmm. What do you see with the men, Lauren, as we kind of build the, that aspect, like some of those con concepts that we got from Dr. Lardy? Yeah, you know, I think we have, and, and Dan I know was on here recently, um, but integrating this new kind of just fitness program within our, within our curriculum, um, you know, us clinicians trying to be outside as much as we possibly can with our clients, whether that's doing mindfulness walks, whether that's doing a session outside, but just trying to promote kind of being outside, moving your body, um, but also a lot on the back end too is like that encouragement of it. Um, I was sitting with a client yesterday and Dan walked by and he was just like, you killed it yesterday. You did so good in the workout. Mm -hmm. And this is a client who doesn't talk a lot to anyone, but his whole face lit up, right? So it's the part of like, we move our body and we do these things, but we're also getting recognized. Mm -hmm. A lot of clients don't, you know, they don't have people in their life who are promoting like, good job getting out of bed today. Mm -hmm. It's more like, why didn't you get out of bed today? And so being able to just kind of have us on the back end of, well, we're going to take this walk. And if you still feel bad at the end of it, then we're going to try something else. And we're always going to keep trying until you find the thing that maybe will, you can implement into your daily routine and it will help you kind of get out of that hole that depression kind of puts us in. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's why the aftercare planning is, is so important because what you all are alluding to is like connection really matters safety really matters. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you spoke about the men's and CrossFit and things of that nature. Um, I was out of, out of the office. I was camping for like a few days and I came back and I had missed a women's CrossFit workout. Um, but I came back for the CrossFit workout and I get there right when it starts. And every single female is working out. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking up to a couple of them that I wouldn't have expected. And I said, oh my God, that's stuff to talk about. And the lady, she was like, absolutely, I had a great workout last time. And she's moving through it. They're moving through it so well, but they're doing it together. And so it's my experience, in my opinion, specifically with depression and um, 
early recovery, it's so important to ensure, because I most certainly was depressed in my first year of recovery, mm. but I had a great person to my right and a great person to my left, and they just wouldn't allow me to sit there. Mm -hmm. They said, we're going. Nobody ever said you to me. Everybody said, we are. Mm. We're. Mm. We're doing this together. We're part of this. We're doing it. And that felt so nurturing, and eventually, by about a year sober, um, I started getting some sun on my face and started to grow up and out of kind of that depressive state, but it was more about community connection for me, um, sustainably um, for a long period of time that really helped pull me through that. And I was running this morning, right? I'm running this morning and I decided to run down to the ranch because I'm training for this marathon, I'm feeling really spirited. And I run out of my house and I never run in this direction, I always go left. And so the sun hits me here. Well, I go right, and I go, and I'm running down to the ranch, and I'm crossing powers, and you're so exposed by the sun, um, and it hit me, or maybe it was coming back, either east and west, no, it was coming back, and it hits me, and it barely, like, I can't even see, and oftentimes when I'm running into the sun like that, it's almost blinding, but what always happens for me, and I have no idea why, two tears, mm. Mm. just go, and in that moment, I remind myself that today's going to be a good day. Mm. And it's just a little bit of sun on your face, yeah. getting ready to go do what you love. Yeah. I kind of want to go back to the connection thing for a second of what you said, because this is kind of what I have seen within the men's program as well, is that, you know, I think the last time I, we talked, um, I was on here, we talked about the age differences as mm. well. And it is just so interesting to see that, like, you know, our, our younger clients can come in and say, like, I'm depressed. And then our older clients can say, like, wait, I might be too. You know, and, and being able to see them connect on this way of like, oh, he can say it, I can say it too. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get shut down if he talks about his feelings, I can talk about my feelings too. And I think it just creates this safety, like you said, of, you know, I can sit in the middle of the room and share my deepest, darkest secrets. And I know everybody in here probably experienced the same exact emotions and feelings I had. Yeah. And so it almost, it kind of going back to what you said, it just like normalizes depression a little bit. We sometimes feel like we're so alone in this mm -hmm. struggle and to be able to come into a program and see that we're not, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most freeing things for our clients. Yeah, yeah it really is. Yeah. yeah. So the, the other aspect, um, Lauren, you mentioned at the beginning uh, is the pharmaceutical kind of intervention um, as well. And, uh, I don't talk about it a ton, but I used to work for a pharmaceutical <laughs> company um, back in the early 2000s, actually. Lauren, you were probably a baby, and you were probably in elementary school or something. But like, I do think um, uh, the company I worked for, I sold uh, their, um, it was, I was in the neuroscience division, and so we, we had an antidepressant uh, that we sold. And so... Um, Pharmaceutical companies are big and they are good and they know what they're doing. I went to school. I went to um, a, a one-month school to learn about how all the drugs work, and I went to a whole other like two-month school to learn how to sell. Um, so I, I remember um, being taught about how um, you know it. We have too little. Some people have too little serotonin in their brain, and then. Um, this particular medication goes and it blocks these pumps at the end of the neuron that take the serotonin back into the neuron. And so because it blocks those pumps, it leaves more serotonin in the synapse. 
and that creates uh, less depression. And, and um, I'll never forget what they said at the end. Um, they said, that's our theory. Uh, <laughs> because we, we, you know, we can't see what's happening in the brain, and we can't see the little neurons, and we can't, we just have these, this theory, but we believe that's what this particular medication does. Mm -hmm. And so off I went to all the doctor's offices and sold it and all this. And then, um, and then literally, I think two weeks ago, there was this big meta-analysis uh, that came out about um, depression and what this meta-analysis of like 2,000 some studies about antidepressants showed is that they don't think it has anything to do with serotonin. Hmm. And they don't know um, what is effective in treating depression truthfully. And like, I had to take pause for a second and be like, everything that I, that I taught and that we have been taught as a profession, like this meta-analysis was like, eh, we actually don't think so. And we don't know what's helping. And, and, it, and it's what brings me back to this like behavioral intervention piece. Um, because the other thing you learn in pharmaceutical schools in, or just in any program is like placebo controlled studies. And what that means is like you give some people a particular medication and you give other people a sugar pill and you compare those. And the reason they have to do that is because the people you just give a sugar pill to improve 30% on their own, just from getting the attention and being around a psychiatrist and having you know, a nurse hand this person a pill, that alone creates an effect. And so to me, all of this kind of just speaks to, hey, we, uh, it, it isn't meds. You can't just go get medications. And I'm not here to say take meds or don't. I'm no doctor by any stretch of the imagination, but I am saying, um, similar to what I said, you can't just kind of go to therapy and consume therapy and expect not to feel depressed. You can't go to a psychiatrist and get a pill and expect not to feel depressed either. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's, it's likely a lot of these factors, but some of it is just this behavior and this connection and this movement and this eating different and this um, getting sun, literal sun and vitamin D and that sort of thing. So um, I don't know, like they, I, I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks now and it's hard to kind of conceptualize what that all means and it, it's a disruption. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think to like to go off of that, I think that is one of the really incredible parts of PEAKS and I mean, I guess just treatment in general, right? Like that we can prescribe medication and we can see how it works with your depression while you're getting clinical work. So yeah. you're not just sitting there like, is this going to work? Is this med going to work? Is this med going to work? It's, hey, I'm going to try this med and I'm going to try uh, clinical work. Yeah. And I am going to give this my all in this setting because I know it's a safe contained space. And if it doesn't work, I have people all the time to help me through it. Mm -hmm. Medical. Medical is great at just kind of assessing you know, our clients' needs, but they also are really great with communicating with clinical. What are you seeing? What are you noticing? Where do we need to look at? And being able to just kind of see the collaboration of medical and clinical to be able to say, hey, my client's way more depressed than when he came in. Mm -hmm. I want you to hear me when I say that, and they do. And so it's just about collaborating and figuring out what's the best for our clients coming in. Yeah. And really making sure too that we, I see a lot of times, especially with the depression talk and TMS and medication and therapy, oftentimes I see clients getting vast improvements through a myriad of yeah. resources. And sometimes I, I always, I'm always quick to correct them, but I'll hear clients say, yeah, TMS is a game changer. It's saving my life. And I'm like, 
What about the two sessions a week with Lauren that you're actually emptying the tank and working wholeheartedly? <laughs> I think you ought to, he's like, oh yeah, that too. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> See, that matters. Yeah. It all matters together. And the connection, I think, is, is the big red bow that kind of goes over the top. And I, I think that hits it right on the head, Chris, that like it, it does take all, like as many tools as we can have on our tool belt. Um, to, because again, I think medication is an actual important component. I don't know, I don't know how that all works, and I don't think we anybody knows how it <laughs> works. Knows, like, there's, something's working <laughs> okay. there um, for sure. And I think you know having other alternative options like TMS um, can be very beneficial. And then the therapy, and then the community, and then the extra, like that. That's what it takes, I think, to really wrap around and treat major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. I, I wish there were other options. Mm -hmm quicker, easier, faster. That isn't quite the American way, but like that probably is how we've gotten here is that that's what we expect and that's what we want mm -hmm. when really this is a much more complex and, and more difficult problem to walk through. Yeah, I love it too. And once you get that somebody safe and connected, then they'll walk with you to go do the sun thing on your face. Yeah. But before that, you're like, go get some sun. And they're like, get out of my room, <laughs> you know? But when you're like, hey, we're gonna go grab some sun today and we've known each other for a couple weeks and we've built this relationship and they're yeah. like, all right, let's get some sun. So. Well, I think that goes back to the quote that you guys always say, nobody knows. Nobody cares what you know yeah. until they know that you care. Well, and I think that is such a huge part of the depression concept is like, no one cares about me and I don't care about me, right? Like I feel so less than, first of all, probably I don't deserve love and I don't want to put people in my life who have to suffer with me. Mm. And so it kind of showing them that, you know, depression is not you. It is this part of you that we will explore and we'll connect with and we'll understand. But who you are as an individual is very different from your depression. Who you are as an individual is someone who can light up the room and not say anything. Mm -hmm. So although you think your depression is bringing you down, we actually see those other parts of you that you just can't. Mm. And I always say to the clients, let us fight for you until you can fight for yourself. And that is just kind of, again, going back to the rapport building, going back to just sitting there and saying, how's your day, mm -hmm. right? Just being very, very intentional within the process because like we've been saying, it's connection is the piece here. Mm -hmm. They just, people just wanna know that someone cares. Yeah. Someone's willing to just say hi to me today. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody's born into this world depressed. No. I'm gonna leave that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with, with that, I appreciate that, Chris. <laughs> Um, with that, uh, I think we'll go ahead and wrap, wrap this up. I appreciate the discussion. Um, I do want to be clear. Sometimes, like, when we talk about depression, like, it's kind of, it's a little depressing. This is the most upbeat topic <laughs> yeah, right? to come in and talk about. But I think, it, yeah, <laughs> hey, who doesn't want to get out of bed today? Yeah. Um, but I want to acknowledge that. And it is, it is real. And, and for families out there, mm -hmm. um, I know it can be frustrating. If you have a loved one who's struggling with depression, that's hard and you can be like just buck up or like get over it or like come on buddy um that doesn't tend to work like like real clinical depression is hopeless and and powerless and um and it can feel like you know you have a car sitting on your back and i don't care how hard you try it's hard to overcome that and so i just want to speak to that part that that sometimes it does require um good professional competent help um, and so with that I thank you guys uh, thank you. for joining me in this episode um, please find us on uh, Spotify probably and Apple iTunes and Facebook Instagram uh, 
Chris is in his Snapchat videos. TikTok. TikTok videos, Snapchat's a yeah. different thing. I've been off my game the last few weeks, but. Oh, Chris is coming back. Uh, <laughs> I'm making TikTok a quick, I'm making a comment. Um, and uh, tune in uh, soon. P please feel free to email us and uh, ask any questions or offer feedback. Thank you. Peace.